Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Happy Monday, everybody, as we approach this week of Thanksgiving. And I hope that you're all grateful and will have family time this week. Today's show is with my guest, Ellen Shane. And I'd like to welcome you to the show, Ellen. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it is it is it is my pleasure. And I I'm so glad that that we met. Social media actually connected us. And our show today is about your daughter Emily and how she suddenly died on April third, two thousand ten, and how that has impacted you and your family and what you've done to honor her life and to help others. It's it's an inspiring show, everyone, and um, I hope that you all can appreciate what has gone on in the Shane family. I think a good place to start, Ellen, would be mm-hmm. to have you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I know I spoke with you when we first met, but I would just like people to know just a little bit about yourself, including your current situation, which is not an easy one, is it? (laughs) Um, Sure. Well, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada, and actually lived there most of my life. Uh, I married there, had two kids there, moved to the United States in 1996, pregnant with my third daughter, third child, and gave birth. So she was the only one who was actually born here in the United States. Um, But we've been here quite a while. Currently, what's going on is that, as most of your listeners will probably know, due to the fires, we have actually been, we had to evacuate very quickly last Friday and are still under a mandatory evacuation at this time. So it has been, I feel lucky because we we know our home is okay, uh, but it's very unsettling to be displaced. And so while I count myself very lucky to actually have a home to go back to, it is a little disconcerting to have to live uh, away from home and be away from your routines and your quote-unquote normalcy. Right. And you brought you, you have dogs as well, don't you? Yes, we have two dogs who are living. Thank goodness we were able to find an accommodation that accepts dogs. So uh, we're lucky in that regard as well. (laughs) And truly, I've been able at this point, my husband was wise and grabbed uh, his desktop and his laptop. So I was, or I should say, have been able to work somewhat effectively while being um, displaced. So that I know that Malibu, which is your home, which is mm-hmm. a magnificent place, a beautiful, beautiful place, um, is where you have um, evacuated from. And I know that the community of Malibu, besides 
being what you call home is a very important part of your life as well. And I thought we could start um, by talking about daughter number three, which is Emily, because Emily is really the impetus for what you have done with your life. And yes. I would like you to just, I'd, love, I'd like people to know about her. So can you tell us about little Miss Emily Rose, please? Sure. Well, as I said, she was born and lived her whole life in, in Malibu. And unlike my other two daughters, from when she was very young, she was the kind of child that would sort of hide behind my legs. You know, if someone was, I was meeting someone new or talking to someone, she was a little bit on the shy side, especially when she was particularly young. She sort of outgrew that as she got older. She had a very uh, soft, sweet disposition. I don't think she had a mean bone in her body. And she always cared about other people from a very, very young age. She was always concerned about other, others' happiness and others' welfare. And it was just something that was intrinsic in her nature. She was a very happy-go-lucky kid. She loved to laugh. She was very social, and just to give you an idea, she wasn't particularly mm-hmm. academic. Her favorite uh, subjects in school were student council and PE, so that tells you everything about I her. love that. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, that's great, and she was that younger sister, and it sounds like she was a really, really happy kid, right? She was, and I think being the third possibly, she was used from a very young age to being dragged around and going with the flow with whatever was going on because if one of her sisters had a soccer game or something we had to go to, she had to come along. So she was very adaptable and, you know, easygoing in the sense that wherever you were going or whatever you're doing, she she was fine. You know, it wasn't, she wasn't, um, difficult in any way you know she just would sort of adapt to circumstances oh that's really wonderful and 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 compassionate too it sounds like right well i really cared about others that will tell you i'm going to tell you something that would tell you a lot about her sure. i remember when she was in kindergarten and what they did her birthday's in the summer so as you know um or maybe you don't know but in a lot of schools yeah. what they'll do is because each child has a chance to celebrate their birthday So children who have birthdays over the summer, they would make a date during the school year where they could have their turn to be special and celebrate their birthday with their classmates. And I was planning a little uh, gathering for her. And I remember she looked at the list of all the people in her class. And there were children who were in a special needs program who were brought in sporadically but weren't actually listed in the class roster. And I remember she looked at the list and she said, but Mommy, Danny's missing and Dylan's missing. And she named all the kids who were special Mm -hmm. needs kids who were brought into the class. And she said, they must be part of this as well. I don't want to leave anybody out. That tells you everything about Emily. It sure does. She was, Boy. she was inclusive, and she didn't judge people from a very young age, and she didn't care who you were or what you looked like. Hmm. Well, I think it's important that we 
tackle this next very difficult subject, but it's, it's, it's very, very important to her legacy. So I'm going to ask you this question, even though it's honestly, it's an emotional question, and it's a difficult question for me to ask, but can you please tell us when and how Emily was murdered? Sure. So it was actually over spring break. It was April 2010. And we had actually not seen her because she had had a sleepover being the holidays. We let her have fun with her friends. And it was a Saturday. And my husband was actually going to pick her up, to meet her, to pick her up. And she never showed up at the meeting point. And I called her friend's house and they assured me she had left. And yet she wasn't there. And to make a rather long story short, we found out that this supposedly suicidal driver, and I can explain that if you want, he had written a suicide note. He was a very angry, he was very, very angry. Um, and we know that from, from testimony, from going through court. Uh, basically had been driving for over 17 miles like a maniac. We know that because of all the recorded 911 calls coming in on his driving and basically turned his wheel at over 70 miles an hour at Emily, aimed at as she was walking towards the crosswalk to go meet her dad and hit her. He threw her 30 feet in the air and she fell and ultimately died. Um, he actually hit a power pole, his car flipped, and he came out unscathed. But to me, the worst part of it, aside from the fact that he killed my daughter, and it was ultimately decided as a murder because we went through the court system, and he was convicted of murder in the second degree. But the worst part of the whole thing to me, aside from losing my beloved youngest child, is that he was totally and utterly remorseless. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, my God. He, you know, I, I will tell you that horrible, tragic things oh. happen in life, and there are real acts killed, and it's an accident. It really isn't that, whether it's friendly fire in a war, what, you, you know, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. This, to me, number one, was not an accident. And number two, if someone had, had come to me and was truly remorseful within their heart, I would forgive them because, mm-hmm. as I said, accidents and tragic accidents do occur. But in this case, I really wanted justice done because it truly bothered me that he was, he didn't care mm-hmm. at all that he had impacted me, my husband, our, our daughters, our family, our community, her friends. There's a big ripple effect when something like this happens. And yes. I don't think he's even thought um, I'm going to ask you to hold the phone closer to oh, your sure. ear because you're, there you are. It was breaking up just a little bit, and this oh, is way too I'm important about for that. people not to hear your – that's okay. Um. Well, you know, one that hears this um, is just left with such sadness. But 
you did something that was quite remarkable as as a family. I don't know if it was you and your husband, but you started the Emily Shane Foundation. And I would really like to hear about that now, if you wouldn't mind sharing that story. Sure. You know, it was actually the night, the day, the day she was killed, that night my husband said, we have to do something to honor her memory. And initially we created the Emily Shane Foundation, but all it was at the time was a good deeds website because we wanted to honor her persona. And she was that person who was always being kind to others and going out of her way to make sure people were happy. And, and so he thought of it that night. And initially our foundation, all it was was a website where people could go on and post good deeds or acts of, acts of kindness for others. And then uh, after a period of time, I remember feeling that I had to do something more. You know, death, uh, death is so final. There's nothing you can do about it. And mm-hmm. I'm the type of person, if I'm faced with a challenge or a difficulty or a roadblock, I'm going to find, I'm going to do something. You know, I'm going to try to figure out a way around it or, you know, what can I do about this and be very proactive. and. There was nothing I could do, but yet there was. There was something I could do. And so I wanted to do, some, to do something that would honor Emily's memory and help others because that was something that she was all about and something that would be significant to her. Mm-hmm. And at first I wasn't sure what it should be. I know she loved to dance, but there's a lot of dance programs for underprivileged children and I was trying to think of something that was perhaps a little more unique or different. And, and then it just came to me because Emily was one of those kids who struggled academically. In her case, it was really due to what you would call learning differences. And pro- ultimately, she was diagnosed through the school, and it was deemed what you would call processing issues. For example, in math, she was supposed to multiply, she divide, or, you know, that kind of thing. It was automatic. Mm -hmm. And if you stopped her and showed her, she would immediately correct herself. But her inclination was to do the wrong step. That's just one little example. But anyways, Uh um, I worked a lot with Emily in school. And when she hit middle school, that really didn't work anymore because when kids hit middle school they want to be independent and feel grown up and their parents nagging them about their schoolwork is is not effective in an approach in general at least from my experience and truly it caused a lot of dissension in our house and I remember my husband saying to me you know this house was once harmonious and all I hear is you and Emily shouting at each other and that's got to end he said you have to go back to being her mother stopping her teacher and tutor. And he was right. But anyway, based on that background on Emily, I went to her school and I said, what do you do with a child like Emily? So a child who's in the mainstream middle school classroom, because when Emily was killed, she was 13 and in eighth grade, she was in middle school. And I said, what what do you do for children who are like her? So I don't really care what the reason is, but they're failing or they're really struggling academically. And they cannot afford to do what we were able to provide for Emily, which was get the right individual help 
needed and necessary in order to enable them to succeed? What is there in the school system? And I found out there was absolutely nothing, nothing. So with mm-hmm. a kid like that who has no resources, has no recourse, right. I knew exactly what I had to do after I found that out. And so that's how I created the CSEA program, and it stands for Successful Educational Achievement. And basically what the program does, schools identify children who fit the profile. And what is the profile? The profile is a child who's in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade who's failing or really struggling academically. Typically they have some Fs or Ds or both and who cannot afford any kind of outside help. And really kids mm-hmm. who fit that profile, they need a one-on-one approach because they're all at a different level, they all learn differently, and each of their situations are different. And then what our program does is we pair these children, these students, with a trained and vetted mentor tutor who is typically a university student or recent grad. And I based the program on my own experience with Emily because I found with her that we, we originally tried using very experienced teachers and education therapists, and she did the best with Pepperdine students. And mm-hmm. I figured out why. It's because they're, they're still young, they're in school, they're amazing role models because they are in university and they show that it is indeed possible to attain that goal. And it just seems to work really, really well. There's a comfort level between a kid who's 10, 11, 12, 13 years old and someone who's, you know, a young adult in in university. And so Mm -hmm. that's basically the program. And I will mention as well that I did team up teacher who taught for over 40 years. He's now retired. When I started the program, he actually was still teaching. And all three of my daughters had him. He was an incredible educator. And he helped me put the program together. So I came at it as a parent having a child who had struggled academically. He gave me the educational side of it, you know, the academic side as a, as a professional, you know, as someone who had lots of experience in the classroom and with all kinds of children, including many, obviously, who had learning differences, learning issues. And so mm-hmm. I got the benefit of his expertise and knowledge. For example, he helped me craft the training program that all our mentor tutors must go through before they begin working with their students, just as an example. All the children. What was his name? What is his name? Gene Green. Let's give him. Okay, let's give James some credit. So he helped you craft this training program. G-E-N-E. That's okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, and he was really, as I said, a remarkable teacher and really cared about his students, was very passionate, and also, as I said, it helped me a lot. Um, when it came time to putting the the C program together, so what year did that? What so you you started the foundation? It sounds like almost instantaneously in 2010, well, and it morphed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Good Deeds site was up fairly quickly, but to become a 501c3 nonprofit, 
it's, I started in the spring of 2012, but we were going through the courts for two years. We had to go oh. through a pretrial, murder trial. Once the initial trial ended in a hung jury, we then had to go through a second trial. Uh, and as I said at the beginning, thank goodness, um, I was very, I was very relieved that this man who killed my daughter ended up going to jail because, as I said before, I felt he needed to hopefully, in being in jail, realize what he had done. I don't think he cared mm-hmm. or realized it on a very real level. So after that was done, so we started actually, I started the SEED program with a little pilot project in Malibu where Emily went to school with, I think it was three children. And it's amazing because what, what we saw was that these children are capable. They haven't had the right guidance and or help and It takes, as I said, a very individual approach for a child who fits this profile because they all learn differently and they're all at a different place. And the mentorship part of it as well is quite significant because there could be home life or social issues that are impacting their ability to perform well in school. And quite honestly, at times, although our focus is absolutely academic, we want these kids to, the minimum, pass their classes and ultimately attain their best academic potential. But just as important to me, if you can take a child who has possibly no one else who's there for them, who's saying, I care about you, and I'm here for you, and you're worthy, and I'm going to do what I can to help you and help you have the best opportunity to pave the way for your future, that imbues a child with, a sense of worth that they may mm-hmm. not otherwise have. And to me, that's and truly why I think it's successful. Because we get a lot of kids initially who are very resistant. They're already having an attitude possibly of, I don't care about school, school's not important, or they're already in a gang depending on the area. Some kids are dealing drugs. They're already removed. They've disengaged. They've given up. Not all. Some. Mm-hmm. But it's the mentorship that really turns things around. Are your mentors different people than the tutors, or are they mentors and same. tutors all wrapped up? The they same. are the same person. Yeah. So they provide the tutoring, but beyond the tutoring, they are also mentoring them as well, which is really beautiful. So it started in Malibu. I will preface it by saying, so I was going to say they're not trained counselors, so that's important to know. There's university students. But I look for people who have a lot of empathy. Many who apply will actually write in the essays to me on the application, I was that kid. Or if it wouldn't be for my mentor, I wouldn't be where I am today. Or you know, whatever, there's something about them that I can tell, and obviously I interview everybody, that they would be a good fit for for who we like to hire to do this work. So, yes, it is the same person, though. The mentor tutor is the same person. I see. And where do you operate? I know you said you started in, in the is – it, is it the Malibu School District? Or do you, well, actually, do you it's Santa Monica, Malibu. Malibu. 
It's Santa Monica okay. Malibu Unified School District. And I started in Malibu. And mm-hmm. then I went to Oxnard, where we have three sites. And then into Santa Monica, mm. where we have three sites. We have one in Culver City, in Westchester, oh. in South oh. Los Angeles, and in Pico Rivera, and in Thousand Oaks as well. My goodness. And and it's called C S E A. I I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious now as a as a resident of Westchester, um I know that for it's not the Westchester in New York, it's the Westchester that's your neighbor. Where in Westchester does the C um operate? So we have been operating at a school called Wright Middle School Steam that's, Magnet. Yep. I and was the PTA president there. Cool, I I, under, say, I know where that is. <laughs> I'm going to oh say God. we actually have not been able to start yet this year because okay. we were working out of a out of a facility, a Y that was down the street, and they told us this year that unfortunately after three years we could not use the room they were letting us use anymore. And I actually am waiting right now on an MOU that I submitted to the LAUSD to be able to operate directly on the school campus. And I have yet to get the results. It's been submitted several weeks ago. And I'm hoping and praying that we will get the approval because the counselor, the school counselor who I deal with there has a list of students Mm -hmm. just waiting who are in need. Yep. You're talking about my YMCA where I work. You're talking about oh. the middle school where my children attended and I was the PTA president. You're talking about a school within my community. And when we get off the line, we're going to talk more about this because I want okay. to further that conversation with you. That's what conversation <laughs> plus connections equals community is all about in my world. So let's go back to you now because this is about you. So um, you have a lot of Pepperdine students, correct, that are um, – assisting as a mentor tutor, correct? Well, actually, in Malibu, I generally hire from Pepperdine because that's the resource where I can source, you know, the capable. But I will say that I have tried because, as you probably know, being a nonprofit, the biggest challenge is fundraising. And while I apply for grants, and do two fundraisers typically in a year and obviously survive on donations as well as those two other things, Um, partner with student universities, including Pepperdine, where we are able to take advantage of what's called the work-study situation. And it's different at Mm -hmm. every school, uh, the work-study. But it's advantageous to us. We also have it, for example, with Loyola Marymount University. I was just going to say that. Yes. Okay, good. Right. And so that was going to be my suggestion. Offer that, right. It can help with uh, the cost of our mentor tutors because in some schools they will literally cover, if not all, then almost most of the expense of hiring the mentor tutors or they will pay a portion of it. Um, and that's obviously very advantageous to a nonprofit. It also speaks to the school because how wonderful that they embrace social consciousness and want to help charities that are serving their local communities. And so they will actually have as part of an arrangement for someone going to school to work for a nonprofit charity as a way to cover part of their tuition, which to me is an incredible thing. 
No kidding. So how are the children who benefit from C, how are they, how are they chosen? How do they get selected to be part of this? Right. It could be a school counselor. It could be a teacher. Uh, it, it comes generally from the school. Sometimes we are, if children are identified through boys and girls clubs. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, so there's different ways. It could even be a parent. Uh, I don't do the vetting in terms of the finance. Knows who's on subsidized meals. And so that's how, that's kind of the benchmark of knowing if they indeed, you know, are unable to afford going outside and getting the help themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really that's, that's, amazing that's because... Really, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm so intrigued by this because of just my own personal background with working with children in different capacities. And um, sometimes, like you say, the um, counselors can can suggest, parents can suggest... And you don't necessarily a child that um, receives um, financial, you know, low income families. Sometimes families that are that don't have that requirement can still have children that really could benefit by this mentor and tutor as well. I'm sure you have found that to be the case as well. Okay, um, sorry, but I, who would need it? What, I, I'm not sure. What oh my heard. goodness. Okay, so um, unfortunately, that was a little crackly, and I know you're not in your home, and I know we're rely- relaying on, relying on internet capacity. So hopefully, that's just an inner, just an occasional scratchiness that we hear. Um, back to your program itself. How often do the do the students and mentor teachers um, do the? How often do they get together? They will meet after school, so it's an after-school program, and it's for one hour twice a week. And we feel that twice weekly is imperative. Um, If deemed necessary, not as a general rule, but if a mentor will come to me, I had, for example, uh, a student who was in our program here in Santa Monica, and he was in eighth grade, and he wasn't going to promote. He was failing. And his mm-hmm. mentor tutor came to me and said, if you give me two hours twice a week with him, I'm going to help him. He's going to do this. He's motivated now. And mm. I, I said, okay, if you really, if he can handle the two hours, but that's a lot for a middle school child to work intensively. And do you know he did it? And I will never forget at the end of the school year, we do a little, we always do a little celebration and applaud the progress that all every single student has made whatever their progress has been and his mother came to me she's a single mom working hard long hours and she was in tears and she said to me you don't understand the gift you've given my son because I could not help him I didn't have the educational background nor did I have ability and that alone makes my work Mm. worth it and you know I forgot to mention something that's kind of important and that is that every child because we're helping disadvantaged children obviously there is no cost to to be in the program once a child is identified and the parents sign them up they're in but 
we kind of tied in our initial foundation with the pass it forward, the whole good deeds and doing acts of kindness with the SEED program. And so what we did is we made a quote-unquote cost for every student. And what they have to do is for every session they have with their mentor tutor, they have to perform one good deed or an act of kindness for somebody. And it has to be entered on our website. In fact, if you go to our website, you will see all the good deeds that the children are doing because they have to, the mentors post it for them, they have to do that. And that's kind of their cost of participation. And truly, there's a flip side to that too. So in addition to them, foundation's motto, my hope is that it will stay with them. And even when they don't have to do it, they will. They'll think of it. They'll mm-hmm. think, oh, can I do something nice for somebody? So that, that's something that I forgot to say that I think is an integral component of the program and deserves mention. Oh, absolutely. And I think this would be a good time um, if, for people that are listening. I'm going to spell Shane because people could perhaps spell it in many different ways. So Emily is E-M-I-L-Y. Shane is S-H-A-N-E, Emily Shane Foundation. And people can simply go to your website and learn all about the different things that that you are offering. Because I was about to ask you that very question about if there was a cost for children to participate in C. And um, it's very generous that there is no charge for this um, tutoring after school because we know tutoring for for children can be very expensive whether they go to the you know the organizations that provide sylvan in those kinds of places or you hire a tutor to come to your home to tutor your child in math or science we know that that's a very costly hourly um, cost and here these children can stay after school they can be in an environment that's going to have less distraction maybe than their home life and they can focus on those areas that they need assistance in. I think it's it's marvelous. Not all of us were destined to excel well in academics. Um, I wasn't. I didn't excel well in academics. I mean, I graduated from high school. I didn't. I didn't go to college. I didn't have any desire to go to college. My children did. My husband did. My brother did. But. Um, you know, I, I think that what happens and what you haven't spoke about, but clearly as part of this is their self-esteem. You know, kids know what kids are not doing well in school. And sometimes there can be a, a great stigma or bullying or, gosh, how come you don't know that? Or I don't want to be on your team or whatever that might be. And for them to be in a safe place in their school with a mentor tutor to help them become more successful, I, I, it's just a beautiful, and the parents must be so, so grateful, I would think. It's just, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it goes right back to Emily because it's, it's her legacy of kindness, and it goes back to two of you also, Ellen, as working together as parent and child to, to, to get the understanding, to grasp the concept, to understand it, uh, I mean, I, I just, it's wonderful. So in this C program that, you, that you're involved in, and that is also available for people to see on your website, and that's S-E-A-C, 
Yes. Do you have a staff? Do you have a so staff? I you laugh. Ran, <laughs> I'm laughing. I mm. ran this program single-handedly mm. until last October. And truly, when I think back, I don't even know how I did it because there's a lot of site-specific things that have to be managed on a regular basis, schedule changes and someone who can't show up. And I could go on and on, different holiday times, professional calendars not matching with universities, all of that. Um, I did a newsletter. I mean, when I think about it, I was very lucky to have some volunteers and interns. I really try to be as resourceful as possible. But at a mm-hmm. certain point, I it's really not feasible to run a nonprofit charity all by yourself. That's really the truth. And ultimately, mm-hmm. I do need a staff. But I did hire for the finally a year ago in October uh, a C program manager. Her name is Kimberly Meyer. She is invaluable to me and amazing and she helps me to oversee manage and run the program because as you heard when I mentioned all the different areas that we're in it's important that we're liaising with all the sites where we operate ensuring things are running smoothly making sure the mentor tutor and student pairs are working effectively I could go on and on. And so you really, mm-hmm. I really needed at least one. I could probably use more than one person, but now I'm grateful to have one staff person who can help me on a full-time basis with managing and overseeing the program. Well, that's, she's that's also, I should fabulous. say also, she's younger than me, so she's great. I'm not particularly well-versed with the social media and all those things that need, you know, need addressing. And she's terrific. So she helps me with that. And I would like to mention as well that for the last, last year, and again, this year, there's a student at LMU. His name is Kyle Friedler, and he has been doing all my social media postings and whatnot. So I have been, you know, I almost feel like there's these little quote unquote gifts that come to me. Sometimes I like mm-hmm. to think that they're from Emily where yes. I find resources or someone who can help me or someone who, you know, I could tell you an incredible story actually of I'd love to this hear it. Ran- There's this, I got this random email. It was, I think, a year ago in the summer or maybe at the beginning of September. I can't quite remember, but I didn't know the woman at all, and she sent me a note, and it was to the effect that she was looking up a different nonprofit charity with the name Emily in it and came across ours completely by mistake. And looked. she actually looked at the website and wrote me this note because she said, I'm a former teacher with the LAUSD, and there is a tremendous need for what you are doing. And she wrote me this whole thing about how incredible it was, and she couldn't. And the bottom line is, I am now so connected to her. She has volunteered to help with all of my fundraisers in the silent auction. She sources all these amazing amazing items. She has been invaluable to me. And what's really interesting is her name is Emily. Oh, my gosh. You're kidding. 
Now, how do you find oh someone by mistake? She found me completely by mistake. It's oh sort of unbelievable. You have to believe that on some level there's more at play than just, you know, circumstance like that. Yes. It was just so amazing to me. And mm-hmm. I am so grateful to her for everything that she does to help us. And she does it completely on a volunteer basis. But it's just wonderful to me that she found me and that she helps me. Hmm. That's that's a beautiful story. You know, um, there are people that would believe that there's nothing at all random about that, that it was absolutely destined. And um, I just think that, and then to add the fact that her name is Emily just sort of cements it, doesn't it? Um, it's just yes. amazing. Are you yes. able... Um, because this has been going on now for what if, are we are we talking four years that you've had the C I in operation? Twenty twelve. So okay, so no six years then. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are you able to measure some results? I I mean I'm sure you must have some some great success stories. Are you able to see where that seventh grader is now that they're you know maybe in the eleventh grade now? I will tell you, I don't have the resources to do that tracking. And I wish I did, mm. but I don't. Yeah. And I did get, uh, over the years, I started tracking as many of the grades as I can. I, I got whatever parental releases are necessary and forms mm-hmm. that have to be filled out. And I actually have a fair amount of statistics that have been, do- you know, um, what's the word, accumulated. I had some Pepperdine students, grad students, do that for me. However, the actual data manipulation and interpretation, which is, takes a lot of time and needs some specific software that I don't have access to. They do have it at some universities. Uh, I have a young man who's now attending Santa Monica College who works as a mentor tutor. And it's interesting, when he sent me his application, he wrote that his, his goal is to be a professor of statistics. He is helping me with the data manipulation, but it is a very time consuming. He has to go not they don't I don't even think they have the software he needs at you at, at Santa Monica College. He goes somewhere else and so he, I don't have any results yet. And mm-hmm. I wish I did have because I think it's important, especially for grants or talking as I am to you about the program, to be able to give some sort of statistical analysis of our success. But I will say this on a qualitative level, because I have parents, mentor tutors, and students all complete questionnaires twice a year pertaining to the program. There isn't one that I get back that doesn't mention some benefit, whatever that is. And it may not necessarily, it could be great improvement. It could be significant great improvement. I have kids that go mm-hmm. from F to A's. I have kids that go from an F to a D. But almost more importantly to me is if they're more motivated, if they're trying again, if they're doing their homework, if they're starting to mend habits, because one of the things our mentors, tutors do, they're not just, their focus is on the subjects where the child is failing or struggling. But in addition to that, excuse me, their other two main components are the skill set, and those include organizational skills and study skills. 
So mm-hmm. you may improve and understand your math now, but if you don't know what's on the test and when it's taking place, you're not going to do well. So right. those are the three main areas that our mentor tutors focus on when they're working with their students. It's not just the academics. They have to comprise all those things. Mm-hmm. How are you funded? So is, is there a way that you're funded? Is it all strictly fundraising? Yes. I, I am wow. funded by applying for grants. <clears throat> Excuse me. And by doing two fundraisers, we just had one on the 4th of November, and I'm glad I planned it when I did. It was earlier than normal because of the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. Please don't tell me this call just dropped. Oh, this is always the fear of doing a live radio show, and I'm going to hope that, oh, my goodness, I'm hoping that, oh, she did just drop. So um, she needs to call back, and hopefully she will. And I will continue to speak while I wait for her to call back because, as you can tell, This is really um, a very important show. And imagine, oh, there she's back. Oh, great. Let me just get her back in. You're back. You suddenly suddenly dropped, and I just kept talking because I could see you drop. Welcome back. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't know what happened. I don't. This is the. This is what happens, you know, on a on a live program, and sometimes things just happen. And I was just saying that, you know. There's so much going on. I mean, you were so generous with your time. And while certainly you have your laptop and your computer and all those things, you are dealing with probably something that most people will never have to deal with, which is to be evacuated from their home. And as you said at the top of the hour, you're very grateful that indeed your home is standing. And we all know if anybody's watched the news, how many homes are no longer standing so you're back and you're in action and, and we're going to just move forward. And and you mentioned that you have grants and you were starting to talk about right. your fundraising and the fact that you just had a big event on the 4th. So let me just pick up right where you left off and let's hear about that event. Sure. So what we do, we usually do two fundraisers a year. The one that was on the 4th, uh, our symbol is a butterfly. Uh, as you probably know, and your listeners as well, that butterflies represent transformation, and you could look at that in many different ways. Significantly mm-hmm. for, for the C program, it would be how students are transformed from maybe struggling, being unsuccessful, having school challenges to overcoming that. Uh, but in any case, what we do is a release of hundreds and hundreds of butterflies, And we do a whole event around it with an auction and live music. And what's really nice about that event is it's actually free and open to the public. The way we make money, the way it is a fundraiser, is that we ask people to sponsor the butterflies. And the butterflies are $10 each, which is roughly what you would say would be the cost of an hour of support for a student in our program. And What's nice, again, is that it's, it's not mandatory. It's, it's just up to the individual, and they can choose one butterfly or more. They can choose as many butterflies as they want to sponsor, so it's, it's affordable for most people. Mm-hmm. And nice. It's, uh, and usually, you know, we also have, uh, we, this year we had a little a celebrity guest, and we had a parent 
a Sikh parent in Malibu uh, speak uh, with her. Her son was there. He was a little too shy to speak, but she spoke mm-hmm. about uh, her her experience uh, or through her son, I should say, being in the program. So that's what we do in the fall. We typically do the butterfly release. And then in the spring, we do an event called Wings Over Malibu, again, keeping with our butterfly symbol and theme. Mm-hmm. And that is a ticketed, sit-down, gala, kind of, you know, a dinner, a live and silent auction, entertainment, and nice. different uh, things we have. So that those are the two that we put on as fundraisers. Then, obviously, we have a website where we accept donations on an ongoing basis. In addition, uh, <clears throat> we apply for grants. And that's very random. You know, you can get Mm -hmm. lucky and get a grant or not. And most of the grants that I've been successful with are deemed what you would call a smaller grant, but every little bit adds up. And truly between those things, that is when we've been able to sustain us and to keep us going and growing because, the, most of our mentor tutors are students who need and or want to be paid. I occasionally get volunteers, but it's really rare. I'm grateful mm-hmm. and appreciate when that can happen. But the majority are students who want to earn some money. And at the same time, it's great for them because they feel they're doing you know work that's rewarding and helping someone else. So we do need funding. And then we have you know, as I mentioned before, we have Kimberly now and hopefully eventually more staff and just running a nonprofit. It is a business in the sense that you've got legal fees and accounting. You know, there's various expenses you have that you must incur in order just to operate. I myself have not drawn any money in doing this. I have mm-hmm. donated my time. It is a passion project. My goal when Emily would have, had she lived and had this not happened, I would have returned, I think, at some point to work. But it's interesting how her death changed the whole course of my life. I have Mm -hmm. to say that at the beginning when I started, it was really a grief response. And it was a way for me to cope with the pain and feeling like I could do something about it, about losing Emily. And truly Mm -hmm. now, what motivates me, I love that it's it's so significant to me that it's in her memory. Every child who comes in the program, we go, they go through a little orientation and I'm very open with them. I tell them Mm -hmm. about Emily and what happened to her, but I use her as an example that where they're at in school right now has nothing to do with where they could be or attaining their goals and dreams. And I'm sorry. Um, now I just lost my train of thought. Um, well, I think it's, it's your... Oh, I was going to say, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say that my yeah. reward now is really seeing the difference it makes for these kids. I see mm-hmm. so many children who have, benefited from this program in such significant ways and that's when I see that it is to me you can't even put a price on that you you can't pay Mm -hmm. someone enough to get that feeling that comes within your being from helping a kid who 
would otherwise possibly be going in a very negative direction or feeling horrible about themselves. I don't think anyone feels good when they're failing, even if they don't admit it. You know, some kids put on an attitude. I don't care. It's not. Yes, they care. No one. You don't feel good if you're failing. You don't. Right. You really don't. Anyhow, so back Um, to where funded. That is probably my biggest challenge, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was just that was so that was going to be what I was going to ask you. So, funding is I think funding is a challenge for all nonprofits. I mean, yes. you're you're absolutely right about that. And I know a lot of people um, kind of pool their um, information together about what how have you done it. And the fact that you've been successful at all at grant writing, I mean, that is that I remember. Ha- having grant writers when we, when I worked at the Y and just having an intern come in and try and help us write a grant for a program because you're right because there are costs involved in all of this space space costs you know where you're where you're operating has has an expense so um it's it's great that you have some of those abilities to do that i was curious because my background oftentimes was in PTA before I went to work for the Y, um, there was a lot of parental involvement. Do you find that the parents are also actively involved in your C program? Are they able to play a no. part in your program? No. They the, do the, not. The, mo- the majority of them are working there. It's difficult for them to even come to the little social gatherings we have, usually twice a year at every site. We bring a meal in and we do a little winter party and we talk about mm-hmm. the successes to date, and we do a similar thing at the end of the school year. But a lot of these parents are working possibly more than one job. They're, um, they, they, they are not able to be as involved as they probably mm-hmm. would like to be, the vast majority yes. of them in any case. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's true. You had mentioned a little earlier, and I wanted to make sure we got this in, about um, the Pass It Forward campaign. So is that does that relate back to where you exactly started with the Do the Good Deed? The good is that what Pass the Pass It Forward is all about? Yes, that's how our okay. our foundation started with this Pass It Forward website. That's all it was, as I said at the beginning when we first started, and then ultimately when I created the C program, we tied it in with it. I do want to mention something, too, and that is where we operate. I have been very lucky in that I in, it's I kind of grew organically through someone I knew or some, you know, for example, in Thousand Oaks, it was because a teacher at the school read an article about my program and said, oh, we absolutely need this. So it's that kind of thing of how we grew. But in a lot of the areas where we operate, we work out of the boys and girls clubs. We are not part of the club. We're an independent nonprofit charity. But because, you know, they can't, they have some fabulous and wonderful programs, but to have a one-on-one as we offer is obviously not really affordable or they're not capable of doing that. And so they embrace what I do, and they allow me with this MOU to use their premises to operate the program. And it's been a fantastic partnership, and I'm very grateful to them. And as you may or may not know, uh, Boys and Girls Club, each area is quite independent, operates independently. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Malibu, we work out of the Boys and Girls Club that's right on the Malibu Middle School and High School campus. 
And in many cases, the Boys and Girls Clubs, as in Malibu, are right on the school premises, which is fantastic. And it's very advantageous because we're an after-school program, and so they're open typically till 6 or sometimes 6.30 p.m. So we can have a mentor-tutor go and help two or even three students in a row once they're going over to the school. The school itself, in many cases, early or doesn't have a room or then you have to get a staff person. It becomes a very, uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved, whereas mm-hmm. uh, directly through the Boys and Girls Clubs, it works, it's just a great setup for us. So in, not in all areas, but in many, we, we do work through Boys and Girls Club facilities. Have you thought about, as you're looking to the future, expanding your program to maybe the elementary school age student next at some point? Quite honestly, unless I get some huge infusion of funds and right. or an angel investor or right. some way to would create more, mm-hmm. right, I can't. I have to, in mm-hmm. fact, I won't grow anymore. There's probably, I would imagine that every middle school could use a program like mine because there's always kids who quote unquote don't fit the mold. And right. if those kids can't afford help, what is there for them? I mm-hmm. see this program blanketing L.A., but I don't have the resources. I, I would need a staff. I would need the ability to do that. I wish I had it, and I stay positive and hope for all that to come. Sure. Well, doing shows like this, and and um, and I know this isn't the only show you've ever done, but getting your name out there and social media, like you mentioned, that you're this guy Kyle from LMU and and Kimberly, you know that that's how many of us that are in this world of media um, can pass can pass it forward, much like what you've just said, and you know you just never know. Just like meeting Emily, you who knew, right? You you never know yeah. when somebody is listening or you're standing in line at the market and one word leads to another and and the next thing you know you're speaking to somebody that says this is exactly what I'm looking to do in my life because somebody mentored me um, 30 years ago and now I have the wherewithal to do something and pay it forward. So I hope that that results. I, I you are you are so dynamic. I don't know how you balance your own life. I don't. Do you have <laughs> any idea when you're going to get to get back into your house? Is there any any discussion oh, about that? I have heard that there's a power pole that needs to be replaced, and it's scheduled for day of Thanksgiving on the 22nd. And my hope is that we can go back then. However, I will say that what I've heard as well is all the cell towers are affected. And mm-hmm. for me to be able to work, and my husband as well, if we don't have the ability to use communication, we are really right. unable to be effective. So I have right. to wait and ensure that power is restored. I understand now that water is back, but we will also need okay. to be able to have our communication. So. I honestly don't know when we'll be able to go back. Ellen, and it's not just your house. It's the air quality. I yes. mean, just breathing. I mean, people have seen the news. You could The, the fire up north, the Butte County fire, where you're seeing the Golden Gate Bridge and you're seeing those are not clouds. That is just toxic air. You know, no one wants to take a, a chance with their health of returning and 
I'm just grateful that you're able to be housed in a place where you can stay for a while and and be safe and be with your husband and and have your dogs with you and and do your work because it's life goes on and and these children yeah. are in school and you know maybe they're having their their Thanksgiving break this week and that's all well and good but they'll be back to school next week so i just i want to just thank you for your generosity i want to thank you for sharing your story because it's it's so in the timing of being grateful um, and and selecting this week to do this is even more significant to me because we all can take time to just take a deep breath, to be grateful, to appreciate where we are in our lives, whatever that might be. And uh, I someday you and I will meet halfway when you're not so busy or if you find yourself, listen, coming into the Westchester area, which is where my home is, We'll definitely have to get together, but I just I want to wish you all the best in this Thanksgiving week. Um, I think you are a testament to Emily and and why she was the kind of child that that she was, and how much you love and miss her, and what you're doing as a legacy, moving and passing it forward. You don't know if somebody is listening to this right now and says. I need to do something like this too. This is where my passion lies. I can do something, whatever that area is, whether it's education or it's the arts or it's, you know, animals or or wherever that might be. Sometimes people just need a little nudge. And I believe that you help to make that happen for so many people. So, um, I'm sure we could talk forever. You and I had a lovely conversation before our our show was scheduled, and we bonded so beautifully, and that is one of the privileges that I have. It's one of the things that I love about what I do because I will have a, a guest next week, and and I may take a little time off in December. I'm I'm going to spend some time with family, and I, I may not work. And there, the Mondays in December is Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, so I may I may practice a little self care for myself. I do have two shows scheduled um, in um, December, but I just want to thank you so much, Ellen, for for joining me on this very special show. It was truly an honor to have you. Oh, I want to just say, you know, first of all, it was really good for me to do this interview today because it made me feel like things are still normal, if you know what I mean, being displaced mm-hmm. and do. all of that. So it was really good for me, actually, to not cancel it and keep it going. And the other thing, I just want to express my gratitude to you because, as you said, even if just one person who was listening today has learned about my program, our foundation, and the pro, the C program, and understands now what we do and has an awareness. That's significant to me because I do believe that the more people are aware of what I'm doing, I think that's my biggest challenge a lot of people don't know. So the more you've helped me to broaden the scope of whoever might know about what I'm doing, and that I really appreciate that, and I'm grateful to you for that opportunity. Well, thank you. You know, it's it's what do they what do they say? It's a win win. So um, I'm going to 
um, conclude our show now. I'll make sure that the archive is up and available in a little while on Facebook. I wish I could tell you, just as a disclaimer, I am really having some very significant website issues. So for those of you that follow me on Facebook, just know that once my website has been fixed and you can get to it, whether you use Google Chrome or Firefox or you use Safari or Internet Explorer, right now my website is down. And I just have to keep some perspective on that as well because it will finally be restored and I just need to trust the process, which is a note that I write to myself in my car. Trust the process because I can still broadcast, I can still share your show, and it's it's been my honor. And I will um, just wish everybody a very happy, uh, grateful Thanksgiving with whatever you do, whether you're out feeding the hungry whether you're with your family and friends, just know that every life matters. And um, and I thank you so much for, for being with me today. And with that, I'm going to play my cute little music to take us out. And I'll look forward to having you join me again next week. Again, Ellen, I appreciate it. Um, thank you. Thank you.